but it's our third year in a row to do Broken People, Big God. And, and here's what this series is, is we're looking at different characters in the Old Testament and New, and to see really how all the people in the Bible were broken, but God is big and he used them in mighty ways. And this is key for us, and one of the reasons why we do this every summer is because it gives us an opportunity to look at the Bible and how God works through his people. And I don't know about you, but growing up, I used to hear about some of the guys we've looked at over these last three years through this series. We've looked at Samson and and David and Adam and Eve and, and Jacob a couple weeks ago and all these guys. And as I would hear about these guys growing up, I would often hear them uh, as heroes of the faith that we should strive to be more like. Right? And you'd watch them in VeggieTales or see them on flannel graphs, and you would hear lessons of like, you should be more like David and have the heart of David or have the faith uh, of Daniel and, and the courage of Daniel. And you would hear these stories of, these are guys you should emulate. Well, there's, there's one problem with that, and it's, it's the Bible. It's a big problem, right? Uh, because as you actually read the Bible, you start to see that, that some of these stories, some of these lives could be TMZ episodes, right? They're that crazy. They're that chaotic that, that a lot of these people are adulterers, thieves, murderers, liars, and yet God still uses them in mighty ways, and so here's the goal of this morning, here's the goal of this series, is we want to not elevate these guys as legends, but we also don't want to, to bash them as lame, which we also sometimes do. Instead, we want to, to learn. We want to learn from their lives and learn about a big God who uses broken people and can use broken people like us. And so that's the goal, and this morning we're looking at uh, the life of Gideon, and we're really just going to do two things today. I want to walk you through some of the story we just read. Make sure you have a Bible and you can look at it for yourself on an app or whatever you have. I'll fill in some gaps for us with some other verses to make sure we understand what happened. And then we're just going to pull out a few things that we can connect to our lives today. And as we look at the book of Judges, it's in the Old Testament. And if you're new to the Bible or need a refresher, the, the book of Judges is continuing the story of the Israelites. The Israelites were a group of people that God began to develop through guys like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then on through Moses and Joshua and other people like that. And then a little bit later, you have kings that God raises up, and he works through them with the Israelites, and they're like Saul and David and Solomon, and you have these, these kings. Well, the book of Judges is right in the middle of all of that. Uh, you may have heard of a guy named Samson with long hair who was really strong. He was a judge later in the book of Judges. Today, we're looking at a guy named Gideon. And when you think about judge, don't think about a judge in a courtroom like we have today. Uh, you want to be thinking about a temporary ruler who, who governed over a specific part uh, of a country, typically in, in a military nature. That was a judge. And God would raise up these judges to rescue his people. And today, we're looking at the judge Gideon. And we're actually in, in verse 11. I know we had uh, some different verses on the screen, but we're actually in verses 11 through 16. So, so take a look at verse 11 with me. You, you see this angel of the Lord show up to Gideon, and he's, uh, this angel is sitting under a terebinth. Uh, that's an oak tree. So the angel's really smart. He's getting some shade. And he's talking to uh, Gideon, and we see right away in the text, verse 11, that Gideon is, is hiding. He's beating out wheat, but he's doing it in a wine press. Now, I've never beat out wheat, and I've never made wine. But I know enough to know that in a wine press, you should probably make wine, 
right? And, and, but he's not making wine in a wine press. He is, he's beating out wheat in the wine press. And as you begin to read about this, what they would do typically in this day to beat out wheat is they would go up on a hillside because they could separate all the good grain and it would fall to the ground and then everything else would blow away off the hill. But the problem was that the problem with that is that was very public. To beat out wheat on a hillside, that was very public. And Gideon doesn't want to be public. He wants to be private. So he's in a wine press. And the reason why, some would say, well, Gideon was a coward. And he goes from coward to courageous. And some would say that. Maybe you've heard that before. And maybe some of that's true. He struggles with fear. And we're going to see that a little bit through this passage. He struggles with fear over and over in these few chapters. But really, this is more of a sign of the times. That you see he's hiding because of the Midianites. This is a neighboring group of people who were a constant threat to the Israelites. They would come and they would plunder their land. They would take their harvest. And so actually, if you do go back and read the beginning of chapter 6, what you see is that everybody's in hiding, not just Gideon. That everybody would beat out wheat in a wine press, in private, not in public, because they would fear for their lives and for their land. Because the Midianites were coming after them over and over. And what you see in chapter 6, verse 1, go back and read it, is you see that this lasted seven years. And as you see it begin to be described, the language is really important in those first few verses of chapter 6. It would say things like, they would encamp on our land. They would come in the land to destroy it. They would, they would, they would. That language tells us something, that over these seven years, this is a normal occurrence. This is a pattern, a way of life for the Israelites, that the Midianites would come and they would take their harvest over and over and over. They would do this all the time. And so this is the state of the Israelites. This is the sign of the times, and Gideon's just a part of that. And what you see is they're experiencing oppression over and over and over that it's physical oppression, that their food is being taken, their nourishment's being taken, their health, their ability to raise their kids and raise their family in a healthy way. But it's also economic oppression. Remember, they're farmers, they're harvesting, and livestock was how they made a living. And so economic oppression is happening as well. And so Gideon is hiding, but so is everybody else. And really, this is part of a cycle that you see over and over in the book of Judges. And, and here's a little bit about that cycle. In the book of Judges, what you see typically is you see people follow God. They, they walk in his word. They, they do his ways. And then they begin to drift. And they begin to go their own way. Later in chapter 17 and 21, you see this phrase repeated, that the, the Israelites did whatever was right in their own eyes. That the Israelites had a perspective. They had lenses that they put on and, and things that seemed right to them and, and idols that seemed right to worship and, and sins that seemed right to chase after that they thought would fulfill them and they thought would satisfy them. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's really a, a summation of the book is that they would follow God, but then they would drift to their own ways. And then they would experience pain. So they would follow drift and they would experience pain because sin results in, in pain. And that's what's happening here with the Midianites. God has allowed the Midianites to oppress the Israelites, and they are experiencing pain because of their sin and their idolatry. But the cycle doesn't end there. That it would go follow, drift, pain, and then rescue. 
that God is a loving father and while he disciplines the ones he loves, he also initiates a rescue plan. And in this case, that rescue plan is through Gideon. And so we're in this cycle. As we enter into chapter six, this is part of that that cycle of follow, drift, pain, and rescue. Uh, This week, my family and I went on a a beach trip to California, and we have three kids. And so our main goal on the way to California is just nobody vomit, right? We keep our standards really high on vacation. Uh, Fun, all those things are a bonus, but just nobody nobody vomit, right? That's our our main goal. And it's about a six-hour drive that we turn into nine hours. Don't be jealous. Um, because we, we, we have multiple stops, and, and we show movies, and, and we let the kids get out and play and run around at different sites along the way. Because our whole goal is we don't want any of the kids to, to vomit. So we're, we're on the way there. None of the kids vomited. It was a great time. We had a, a great trip. It was about nine hours uh, to California. But it was great, and the kids had a great time. And then on the way back, we're in the home stretch. It's late at night on Friday night, and we have about an hour left. And all of our kids are asleep except for our two-year-old. She's like a machine. Can't phase her, right? And so she's not sleeping. She's crying a lot and just uncomfortable. She's just ready. Parents, you know this. Kids, you know this. At the end of the trip, the last leg of the trip, you're just ready to get out of the car, Right? You're just tired of sitting down in a seat. And that's where she is in this moment. And, and in this moment, she wants a blanket. And so I, I give her a blanket, and she throws it off. And, and again, she starts to cry, and she, she wants her, her blanket. So she says, I want my blanket. And I give it to her, and I put it around her, and I snuggle her in real tight and tuck her in, and she throws it off. And she starts crying. And this is our cycle for the last hour of the trip. She just continually, she wants the blanket but she throws it off. And, and as she does that over and over and over, I finally said, okay, you, you say you want the blanket, but I don't think you really do. I think this is an evil trick on your dad. And so I don't know if you actually want the blanket. You just say you want the blanket. And so you know what? I'm going to stop trying to give you the blanket because it doesn't seem to comfort you. It doesn't seem to console you at all. You just start crying again, and you, you push it off, and you, you throw my hands away. Well, after this cycle continues over and over and over, I look back, and finally the crying has stopped, and the, the desire for the blanket has stopped, and she's curled up in a tiny little ball, as small as she can get, and she's asleep. Now, why is she curled up in a tiny little ball? she's cold because she needed that blanket that I tried to give her 30 times on the last leg of our trip but she wouldn't take it and so as a loving father what do I do just say "Ah, just you're not going to get the blanket now too bad too sad no I get the blanket for the 50th time and I and I wrap it around her and I make sure she's snuggled in and she slept the rest of the trip That cycle is essentially what the Israelites are experiencing in the book of Judges. That cycle is what we enter into in chapter 6 in the book of Judges, that you have a loving father who knows exactly what the Israelites need. He's he's trying to put the blanket on him. He's giving him his word and his ways and saying, hey, walk in these ways. This is going to go well for you. You say you need this. You actually need this. And and, and God is a loving father, and he's trying to to put the blanket around them. He's trying to give them security in life and a way to live in life. 
And what the Israelites do is sometimes they say, yeah, God, we, we want that. We want to worship you and, and all these other idols and all these other sins. I mean, we know they're not good for us. And yeah, we want that. But, but God would try to give that to them and they would push his hands away. And over and over, they would push his hands away, and they would pursue these other things, and they're left curled up in a ball in pain. And as you read chapter 6, before verse 11, they cry out to God because of this pain, because of this oppression from the Midianites, that God eventually says, you want this? I'll give it to you. And he disciplines the ones he loves. And they experience pain. But as a loving father would, he doesn't leave them in that pain. He comes after them again. And he initiates a rescue plan. So he doesn't abandon them. He disciplines them. That's really key. And then he begins to, to rescue them. And that's the cycle that we're in. And he does that through, through Gideon. Look at verse 12 with me. The angel of the Lord greets Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And then in verse 13, Gideon responds with an honest question. He says, essentially, if God is with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening? If God is, is with us, then why aren't we experiencing these wonderful deeds like our ancestors experienced? If God is with us, why aren't we experiencing rescue like, like the Israelites did in Egypt when they were rescued from slavery? And Gideon is saying, if God is with us, how does that compute to our current situation? Like, where's the God who rescues us? When's that going to happen? And he begins to respond to God, and he really gives God an obstacle he's dealing with. That God is saying, I'm going to rescue my people. Here's who I am. I'm going to rescue my people, and you're going to be a part of that. And Gideon's first obstacle is God. It's God himself. That he can't quite see God's promises amidst their pain. He can't quite reconcile God's goodness with their grief. That doesn't compute for Gideon. Maybe you're here today and you can relate to that. You're asking similar questions in your life of God. I know you did all this through the Bible and I know you did all these works through Jacob and Gideon and, and all these other people in the Bible, but, but are you still that same God? I mean, where is that in my life? I mean, if you're that good God and that faithful and loving God, why are all these bad things happening in my life? Maybe you've asked similar questions to Gideon, and maybe your obstacle, even though you're here this morning in church, your obstacle, if you're honest, it's God, that you don't fully understand God. How could a good God allow this grief in my life? How could a, a God who gives me promises in his word allow so much pain? Have you ever asked that? Maybe some of you are asking that right now. That's what Gideon is going through, that God begins to call to him. And he has some obstacles, and the first one is with God him, himself. And so God, in his grace, lays out clearly his promise of rescue. Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Here's what God is, is saying. He's saying, I'm still the same God. I, I'm going to save the Israelites. I'm the same God who rescued the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and I'm the same God today who's going to rescue you from the hand of, of Midian. I'm the same God, and I'm sending you to be a part of that. I know you haven't seen me before now, but you are seeing me now, and it's through you. God says, this is what I do. I rescue I'm a loving father, and, and while I do discipline you, and while you experience pain because of your sin, I'm going to rescue you. 
and I'm going to do it through you. I send you to do this. And that leads us to Gideon's second obstacle, and it's himself. His first obstacle is, is God and reconciling all this goodness of God with the grief they're experiencing. But his second obstacle is with himself, and you see that in verse 15. The Gideon essentially says this. He says, I'm the weakest member of the weakest family. He says, you got the wrong guy. I mean, remember the scene we just set up a few moments ago. Gideon's people are under continual oppression physically, economically, and everyone's hiding, including Gideon. And yet, this angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon, and he calls him a mighty man of valor, a mighty warrior. I'm going to send you. I am a rescuing God, and I'm going to send you to do the rescuing. I'm going to work through you. And you got to imagine the scene here, because Gideon would have looked around the room to see if anyone else was there. A mighty man of valor, mighty warrior? I... I would love to meet that guy. Like, can you, can you introduce me? Because we're going through a lot of pain and oppression. Like, I'd love to be introduced to that guy. God, can you show me who that guy is? I mean, you got to imagine he would have wondered, like, who are you talking to? I'm beating out wheat in a wine press. Like, I'm no different than anybody else. Why are you coming to me? And you see, Gideon had an obstacle of God, but he also had an obstacle of himself. He's the weakest member of the weakest family. It's interesting, what you see four times in verse 15 is, is Gideon refers to himself. Look at that verse with me. He says, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. It's about himself. He doesn't see how he can be a part of what God is doing. He doesn't think he has what it takes. He doesn't look the part. He doesn't feel like a mighty warrior. And he's focusing on himself, and that's his obstacle. And so again, God graciously responds to that obstacle. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You see, God makes it clear to Gideon that he will work through him, but it's not about him. That Gideon is broken, but God is, is big. He says, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That, that the focus is not on Gideon. It's not he's a mighty man of warrior because he's all muscled up. It's interesting. My kids and I, we read on Saturday the Action Bible. If, kids, if you haven't ever read the Action Bible, you should get a copy. It's amazing. It's pretty solid uh, to Scripture, but it's also really engaging for kids, and it's in comic book style. Uh, speaking of Spider-Man, the, the editor of Marvel Comics or the illustrator did a lot of the illustration for uh, the Action Bible. And so we'll read that uh, Bible a lot with our kids, and we'll act it out. And Gideon's a great one to act out. And as you flip through the pages of the Action Bible, uh, they make Gideon look yoked. I mean, he is jacked. He is swole. Whatever uh, word you want to use, he looks ripped. He's ready to go. He looks like a mighty, mighty man of warrior, a mighty man of valor. Now, do we know that he was like that? No. All we know about Gideon is that he's, he's doing his job in private because he's scared. That's all we know about Gideon. We, we know from Gideon himself that he's a, a weak member of a weak family. But you look in the Action Bible, and he looks ripped, and he looks ready to go. And listen, I don't know 
I don't know Gideon's physical stature, right? I don't know how much he could bench. But I know God was with him. And I know because of this big God who says, I'm going to be with you, that Gideon becomes a mighty man. He becomes a, a warrior, right? Because it's not about him. God's going to work through him, but it's not about him. And it's the same for us today. Uh, it's an amazing thing. As you, as you read this story, as you continue to do so, we don't have time to do that today. But as you do that in your Action Bible, parents, get that for your kids, a, a, a regular Bible, as you walk through this story together with friends or by yourself and just continue to read this story, it's an amazing thing that God begins to raise up this mighty man of valor, Gideon. And he begins with his might through Gideon, he uses him to to destroy idols. And there's actually an interesting twist. The, the idol, one of the main idols, is at his dad's house. And Gideon's fearful because he's called to go destroy this idol that's at his father's house. And so he goes and he does it at night, but he obeys God. And he destroys those idols against the odds. And then he goes on to defeat the Midianites in battle. He starts with 32,000 men, but through a, a, several circumstances, he ends up with 300 men. But he still goes into battle, and he defeats the Midianites. You should read the story. It's an amazing story. There's trumpets, and there's fire, and there's yelling. It's an amazing story. And 300 men with Gideon defeat the Midianites. And so go on to read that and see how, how God is, is with Gideon and how he overcomes his obstacles to work through him in a mighty way. But what I want you to see, and I want to finish out our time today, is connecting this story with our story. Because there's a lot of connections, right? Uh, Gideon was fighting a physical battle. Like he was literally going to rescue people through fighting a battle. We're fighting a different battle. Uh, the way Jesus puts it in Matthew 28 is the Great Commission is to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus, to make God known to a world in need, a world who is being oppressed. And so you and I are a part of a battle. It's different than Gideon's. But we're still a part of a battle. And so how do we apply this to our lives? Look at uh, the screen with me. We'll have a few points for you. Uh, the first thing is we give God our obstacles. We give God our obstacles. Gideon had obstacles. They were God and himself. Right? But what I love about Gideon is he doesn't just internalize those obstacles. Right? In pride and insecurity, he doesn't just think about the obstacles and walk through them and maybe talk to some other people and say, well, you know, God can never use me and I'm part of the weakest family and I mean, I guess I just will never be anything in life. He doesn't just do that. I imagine he, he did that at some points. But in this passage, what we see is Gideon gives those obstacles to God. He voices them directly to God. He gets out of his head and he says, listen, this is the situation I don't understand, God, what you're doing. It doesn't make sense to me right now. Your, your promises don't measure up to my pain. I don't get this right now. And he tells God that. Do you notice that? He voices his obstacles directly to God. The, the second obstacle, he says, I, you don't understand who I am. I, I'm of the smallest clan. I'm of the weakest family. I'm the smallest person in my family. You got the wrong guy. And he voices that directly to God. He gives God his obstacles. And what you see is God begins to work through that process to empower, to equip Gideon in, in spite of his obstacles to work through him. 
And so we need to give God our obstacles. We all have them. Maybe for some of you it's the same as Gideon. Maybe it's God. Maybe you can't see God's promises amidst your pain. You can't see it right now. Again, you you come to church and maybe you're going through some motions, but stepping out and serving God and and responding to his call in this battle to to be a part of his rescue plan of calling sinners to Jesus, you're like, "I, I don't know. I got some obstacles. I don't know if I'm the guy for that. I don't know if I'm the girl for that. And you have some obstacles. And maybe for some of you, it's just God. You don't understand. It doesn't compute for you right now what God is doing in your life. And I think for a lot of us, though, it's ourselves, just like it was for Gideon. That that we think, "I, I don't have the skills. I don't have the time. There's too much at stake as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as a disciple, there's too much to overcome. Like, where would I even start? I mean, if I, if I wanted to parent my kids and make little disciples, where would I even start? How do I do that with my job and the, the finances and the bills? Like, and my sin, how do I even parent these little guys? Where would I even start? As a spouse, like, I'm supposed to sacrificially love my spouse Man, Tim, do you know how selfish I am? I mean, where would I even start? Like, I don't have the skills. I don't have the time. As a friend, I mean, I I have to ask people questions. I have to get into their lives. I don't even have it all figured out for my life. And you want me to step out and serve God in other people's life? Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't have the skills. I don't have the time. There's too much to overcome. I don't have it figured out. I'm too young. I'm too old. Like, whatever your obstacle is, could it be that your obstacle is just with yourself, just like Gideon? That that you're looking at yourself and all the ways that you don't measure up. And God's trying to say, listen, I'm going to work through you, but it's not about you. It never has been. And so all of these obstacles... And we can just knock them down one by one, and I'm going to empower you, and I'm going to work through you. Why? Because I'm going to be with you. And that's our, our second way to apply this, that we would focus less on ability and more on proximity. We would focus less on ability, less on ourselves, less on what we can bring to the table, and more on proximity. Who are you with? Who is with you? That twice in this passage, we see where Gideon's strength lies. Verse 12 and 16, he says, the Lord will be with you. This is where his strength lies. It's not in his yoked up muscles that maybe he had or maybe he didn't. It's not in his education. It's not in his intellect. It's not in his platform as a leader. It's not in any of that. It's his proximity to someone else, to God, that God will be with Gideon. God will be with you. That's where Gideon's strength lies. That's where our strength lies. It's not in your ability. It never has been. It's in your proximity. And it's in your proximity to God. I've had the privilege to serve with some amazing leaders, in some cases some prominent leaders, to serve alongside them. And some of them are incredibly smart and had every degree you could imagine and all the eloquence you could want, all the persuasion that you would want, and all the platform that they had built to speak to a large audience. And I've been around some of those leaders. I've met them and I've served with some of them. But you know who made the most difference in my life personally? You know who I saw make the most difference in the lives of others? 
it wasn't the guys with the biggest platform. It wasn't the people with the most education. It wasn't even the most persuasive, charming leader, commander in chief. It wasn't any of those people. It was the people who walked closely with God. I think of college and my life in college, and there was this 70-year-old man named Gail Wyatt. And he wasn't a flashy guy, and he wasn't a guy of prominence in the church I was at. He had been an elder in the past, but he was kind of forgotten, kind of one of those older, older guys who just, they push off to the side and say, you just don't ruffle any feathers, and we're not going to play the organ, and you got to be okay with that. And just do your thing, and we're going to do our thing. And he was one of those guys, but, but he was a guy who, who spent time with God. That he had that proximity down. It didn't matter about his ability, but he had that proximity. And he just came up to me one day, and I've shared this story a little bit before, and he just said, hey, I want to buy you some books. And I was like, okay, I have enough books for college, but okay. And he's like, yeah, I just, there's some books that have been impactful in my life and some study Bibles and some ways to, to learn the Bible and read the Bible. I think it could really help you. And so literally the next Sunday, he brought me a huge box of books, like so heavy, I couldn't carry it by myself, right? And, and what we did together was we just began to read those books. Sometimes we would come, I would come over to his house and he would give me a slice of pie because that was his thing and some tea and we would just read books aloud together about God and who he was and how to study the Bible and all those things. And it was through that relationship with this guy who had been pushed aside, who didn't have the eloquence and didn't have the education and didn't have the platform, but who had the proximity. It was through that guy that I began to study the Bible, that God began to wreck my life and who I thought God was and who he really is and how I can step into this and how I can join in this mission that God has started a long, long time ago. And it was through a guy named Gail Wyatt. You don't know Gail Wyatt, right? But God does. And God was with Gail Wyatt. And Gail spent time with God. And through Gail, I spent time with God. And then I started to do that by myself. And then I started to do that with God a lot. And then I started to do ministry and say, I want to give my life to this. And it changed my life forever. You see, it's not about ability. It's about proximity. That you want to lead in your family in the church, with your friends, at work, in school. You don't need to focus on your skills and your time and your eloquence. You need to focus on proximity to the one who has it all. You don't need to figure it all out. You need to go to the one who has figured it all out for you. That's about proximity, that God will be with you. God is with Gideon. God is with you. That is where your strength lies. The third thing is we need to join in the fight. We need to join in the fight. God was making himself known to the Israelites, and Gideon got to join in with him. God is making himself known through the church today. That, that great commission, go into all the world, Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples. That other commands you see in the New Testament, to love God, to love your neighbor, to serve others, to make God known to a world that's being oppressed. I, different than the Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites, but we're being oppressed. There's a world in need. I, we don't know what we want. We're doing what's right in our own eyes, just like the people in the book of Judges. And God is calling you to join in on what he's doing, to make himself known to this world. And, and you just need to join in the fight. You see, Gideon wasn't starting the fight. Right? God had already been 
working this fight out. God had already been moving in mighty ways. Gideon just gets to join him. It's the same for you. You just get to join in on what God is already doing. You get to declare Jesus to other people. What you've seen, what you've experienced, the proximity that you have with God, that God's with you. You get to declare that to others. You get to demonstrate that that to others through service and through love to other people. You get to join in the fight. Take a step and join in with what God is doing. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit today. You're at church on July 4th weekend. Congratulations. Right? You're already committed. Most of you are already joined in the fight. Right? You could be a lot of other places today. You could be out of town like all the rest of the other heathens. You could be doing lots of things, right? But you're here, you're committed, you're joining in the fight. And so some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I've already joined in the fight. Well, maybe a step for you is to invite others to join in the fight as well. But that was a joke about everybody being heathens. But the reality is people inside our church and people outside our church, they need to join in the fight, right? If there's some big steps that you've already taken of of saying, hey, I'm I'm just going to serve once a month for six months at Phoenix Bible Church. I'm just going to serve God and step out in that call in uh, my life. That some of you have stepped out and said, I'm going to go to Unite Phoenix once a month. I'm going to serve my community. And some of you have already done that. You've already joined in the fight. Some of you parents have already joined in this fight. You're reading scripture with your kids. You're walking through uh, scripture with them. You're teaching them how to be little disciples of Jesus. You've already joined in the fight. And what you need to do is invite others to join you as you join in this fight. That you need to share your story with others. Like I hear stuff from you guys about this. I hear stuff uh, from you guys like... I've seen God bless me more than the people I'm serving. I've seen God fulfill me. I don't know if he's fulfilling the other people, but I've seen God fulfill me through these acts of service, through, through walking in step with how God has des- desired me to function. I've heard you guys say things like, I've seen God use little things, ordinary things, things I don't even notice to teach me, to grow me in my faith. I hear that from you guys. You need to share that with other people. You need to invite others to join in the fight as well. Uh, A a couple weeks ago, I went with uh, my son, who's four years old, to Castles and Coasters. Kids, wake up. Castles and Coasters. You've been to that place, some of you guys? Kids? Yeah? So I went with my son, four years old, and he's like just a little, like a quarter of an inch above the mark where you're supposed to be to ride all the rides. Uh, Sometimes we had to get him on his tippy toes. But, but he could ride all the rides, and, and so we went to Castles and Coasters. He's been waiting uh, to be a quarter of an inch past the height to go on all these rides, and he crushed it. Uh, he, he enjoyed every ride. He wanted to do everything, and he did amazing. It was a lot of fun with my four-year-old son, and the last thing of the day was the roller coaster. Now, he really wanted to do this all day. Uh, I have a fear of heights. I did not want to do this all day. Uh, and so I don't like roller coasters. It's not my favorite thing in the world. But, but I said, okay, it's my son. This is father-son bonding time. Like, I'm going to sacrifice and, and go on this ride with my son. Well, as we get in the line for the roller coaster, he starts to, to get a little trepidation. Right? His excitement is a little bit waning, and he starts to be a little bit nervous. Like, what's this roller coaster going to be like? How high is it, and, and how long is it? And so I start to, to get down and just talk with him and talk him through it. 
And I explain, it's just going to go around two times, and here's about how fast it goes, and here's what you do on the roller coaster. Like, you just kind of lay back so you're not, like, flailing back and forth. Like, you want to do that. And, and I start to get into the science of the roller coaster, and I'm like, see, I mean, look at it. Those cars on those rails, I mean, scientifically, it's impossible to fall out of the, one of those things. Right? Maybe? And, and I begin to explain to him the torque of it and the whole thing. And you can tell he's just looking, and he's not paying attention to anything I'm saying. You can tell he's thinking about something else, and what he was thinking about, he voiced. And he said, well, Daddy, are you going to do this with me? And I said, yeah, but of course I'm going to do it with you. I've been doing everything with you all day. Of course I'm going to do this with you. And he said, okay, let's do it. And so we got on the roller coaster, and we went one time, and he wanted to go a second time. But after a day of riding rides at Castles and Coasters, Daddy did not want to go a second time, so we stopped, right? Like he was having the time of his life at this point and fully confident wants to go again. Why? Because his dad was with him. Listen, I know today you enter in here with some obstacles, some obstacles of God, of yourself, just like Gideon did, but you need to know the same promise is true for you as it was for Gideon, that God, your loving heavenly Father, will be with you. You don't have the skills. You don't have the time. You're too busy. You're not sure if you can do this. Where would I even start? God will be with you. And if you're wondering if that's true, just look at Jesus. God sends Jesus into the earth to be with you. He calls his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so speaking of freedom, this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, the one who has come to be with you, that you're freed up to give your obstacles to God. You're freed up to be in close proximity, to walk with God closely. You're freed up to join in this fight because it's not about you. God's just going to work through you, and he's going to be with you every step of the way. So what step do you need to take today? How can you join in this fight? God's with you. God's for you. He's going to work through you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for an opportunity to look at your word, that we have the freedom to do so. And I thank you that you are, are with us, that you work through us, you are for us. And it all happens through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. God, I pray that we would, we would give our obstacles to you because of that freedom that we have in Jesus. We would begin to, to walk closely with you. And that we would join in this fight that you started through, through Abraham and through the Israelites and through people like Gideon. But you have continued through the church and through us. And we have the opportunity. We get to serve you and join in with you in what you're already doing to rescue people who are in great need. Father, help us to do that. Help us to take a step in that this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.